0: Now, what I want is facts. Teach these boys and girls nothing but facts. Facts alone are wanted in life. Plant nothing else. You can only form the minds of reasoning animals upon facts. Nothing else will ever be of any service to them. These are the words of a Professor Thomas Gradgrind in Charles Dickens' novel... Hard Times. Has anybody read it before? It's, a, it's an interesting read, let me tell you. Uh, they, they give an apt description, though, of our modern age and perhaps even times in the past where facts and evidence seem to be the only thing necessary. It would be the only thing necessary if all we wanted to produce was machines. Machines that were nothing more than mere facts. Uh, walking facts. Uh, running facts. Machines. Going day to day, doing their thing, coming home, doing their thing, nothing more than machines. I'd challenge this notion this morning. Acts, our text today, would challenge this notion this morning. Is it really just facts that are necessary? Do you come here this morning just to learn facts? Did you come here this morning just to see a person preach? Did you come here this morning just to know one more fact about Jesus? Did you come here this morning just to know one more fact about the Bible? Let me tell you, facts will do nothing to you. They'll give you more knowledge. They'll give you more to think about. But they'll do nothing to change you. Mere facts, while they're necessary... Do nothing to change a person. James S. Taylor, in his book Poetic Knowledge, describes the difference between factual, cognitive knowledge and poetic knowledge, which moves from simply having knowledge to experiencing that knowledge. He continues the picture. Gradgrind has called on student number 20, Sissy Jupe. Notice, student number 20, it's just a fact, right? It's not a real person in front of me, it's just a fact. Uh, Sissy Jupe to tell the class something of her background. She is shy, modest and understandably quite terrified of Gradgrind. She manages to reveal that her father is a horse trainer for the local circus, an occupation far below the of, standards of our enlightened Gradgrind. In an attempt to expose her ignorance, he demands that Sissy tells the class what a horse is. That is, to give a brief, factual definition. Just as she begins to answer. He scolds her for not having any facts about a horse. Bitzer, on the other hand, a boy in the same class who has cleverly excelled in the grad grind method of knowledge provides the correct answer. This is what Bitzer says. Quadruped, gramniferous, 40 teeth, namely 24 grinders, 4 eye teeth and 12 incisive. Shed coat in the spring, in marshy countries shed hoofs too, hoofs hard but requiring to be shod with iron, age known by marks in mouth. Now, girl number 20, said Gradgrind, you know what a horse is. Exactly. <laughs> the cruel irony, of course, is that no one in the class except Sissy Jeep really knew what a horse is. Least of all, Gradgrind and Bitzer. Facts alone keep us blind to what is really true. This fact is true. No person in all of history has ever been saved from death to life on facts alone. But to know this fact to be true, you must experience it. There's a deeper knowing that must take place. Gradgrind and Bitzer knew what a horse was by the way of facts on a page and in their memory, but they didn't know a horse by way of experience with that horse. They were blind to truly knowing a horse or being known by a horse. You imagine Sissy Joop stroking that horse. You imagine Sissy Joop feeding that horse. You imagine Sissy Joop talking to that horse and the horse trusting her when she comes near. You see, she really knew the horse. Sometimes I think it can become like this with our Saviour, the Saviour of the world, Jesus Christ. We can know Jesus by way of facts, and we can come and learn about him every week during church, but in actual fact, we completely miss knowing him and being completely known by him. Let's dive into the Word today. Uh, we're going to eat, read Ch- Acts chapter 3, the whole chapter. Uh, by way of introduction, while you're going there, Acts chapter 3, remember that at this moment in history, the church is just ramping up. Jesus was go- gone and the Holy Spirit had come to dwell in believers as the temple of God. The church became the witness to the world of what this would, this would look like. Jews and the peoples could see, uh, but they were still actually blind, as we'll come to see. Acts chapter 3. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them. The portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. Think about what they just saw. Lame from birth. Leaping, shouting, praising God. Would you be amazed? Oh. It's amazing. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance Raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. "'You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. "'And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet "'shall be destroyed from the people. "'And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel "'and those who come after him also proclaimed these days, "'You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant "'that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, "'And in your, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed.' God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you. Not just bless you with uh, being with you, but to bless you by turning you away from your wickedness, from your wicked ways. Let's get into this. This is phenomenal. This uh, this is quite significant passage. I'm not going to be able to do uh, justice today. Um, because it's, uh, there's, there's just loads to do. There's probably three, maybe four sermons in it. Uh, but I'm just going to focus on three particular areas today. Firstly, uh, a personal encounter. Secondly, bedazzled but blind. And third, becoming known. Firstly, a personal encounter. I want us to try and sit in this lame beggar's shoes for a moment. Imagine, he, he's been born lame. Uh, perhaps even the shame of his family. Not guaranteed fact, but perhaps. Here he was uh, being carried day after day to the temple gate called Beautiful. He was a a local. Uh, Everyone knew him because he'd been there day after day after day. Uh, What I want to do today is uh, I've teed up my oldest daughter, Phoebe. She's going to be the lame beggar. And I'm looking for uh, two young lads and two older lads to come and carry the mat can anybody any volunteers two young fellas yeah sean's yeah, break a leg boys come on let's go um any any uh older gents able to come out two dads maybe or uh come on don't hold back sean's in will's in beautiful all right uh if you could arrange yourself so phoebe doesn't get hurt that would be really good <laughs> um phoebe could you lay down on the uh, on the mat here um remember you're lame so you can't move your body Okay, um, you've got to do your best to stay still. All right, so maybe move back, that's it. And if you could carry her up to the, uh, up to the back up here behind, that would be really good. Are you getting the picture there? He had some mates, this lame beggar, and uh, the lame beggar with his mates would be carried to this spot every day. Now, I'm guessing his mates didn't hang around, so he's sitting there on his own day after day after day. Ooh, around the guitar even. That's pretty impressive. Thanks, that's really good right there. Phoebe's doing pretty well there. She's, uh, she's laid pretty, pretty still. The mat sort of curled around her because her body can't actually get control. Uh, here is the lame beggar. Thanks, mates. Here's the lame beggar. Well known in the area. He picked the most opportune spot for him to receive alms because it was busy. People always entering the temple and leaving the temple. And not just any people but the worshippers of God. So you'd have an idea that they have uh, uh, some sort of inclination to the poor. So here they are giving alms to the poor. Usually they'd throw him some money, maybe some food. Uh, He also knew that the people going to the temple uh, were somewhat used to him being there so you can imagine uh, every interaction with passers by had a level of uncertainty and indifference oh yeah there he is again that lame guy yeah i'll give him a little bit hopefully that'll be enough for him to live today although he begged hard his face would be brought low from the disappointment of the people ignoring him remember he'd been this way since birth this had been a long disappointment He could forgive him for feeling a cold, hard sense of hopelessness and blindness to anything more than just what he could see. But Peter and John begin to change all that. Filled with the Holy Spirit, they walk by this beggar. Notice they don't just drop money. It would be pretty dead and cold, wouldn't it? Just drop a bit of money and hope for the best. No, they didn't just drop money. They walk up close to him and, and call out of his indifference, Call him out of his shame. Look at us. See, no one would have looked at him, not really looked at him. You know the, the feeling of being looked at like right direct in the eyes by someone who actually really cares. Look at us. The man looks at them, but only to try and get something from them. Having been to India, uh, I've seen just, just beggars on the street and there's this sort of hard <sighs> look about them stale, hardened from the, just the difficulty of this life that they live. He looks them in the eyes. Peter assures him that he has something better to offer, offer him than silver or gold. Don't miss this. What Peter offers him is invisible. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Walk. Now that might have been enough, but to make it even more personal, he reached out his hand to this man and helped him to his feet. While immediately his feet and ankles became strong, his response is just glorious. They continued in the temple with the man walking and jumping and praising God. Can you do that for me? Let me help you up here. And you could go skipping off the stage. Thanks, Phoebe. Give her a round of applause. Imagine the delight, the excitement that this man lame from birth is now skipping. He he can walk. He can move. His his limbs, they've got life again. He's no longer a slave to his mat. He's no longer a slave to the people around him. He's got life. Well, naturally, uh, this personal encounter became the launch pad for a sermon to the bedazzled onlookers. People were amazed. People couldn't believe it. Could this be happening? Really? There must be some magic. Peter, maybe, maybe he's talked to God so well that maybe just God answers his prayers and, uh, and, and this man has been here. Well, the focus shifts. The people around are regulars at the temple. They see this man walking and leaping and they've known him for years. He's been sitting at the same gate, lame and crippled. They would be dazzled, but they would be dazzled about the wrong thing. All these people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate at the temple asking for alms. and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You see, they would be dazzled by this miracle, but they were missing something. I think they could see the facts of what was going on in front of them, but They were missing something so much more precious. All they saw was Peter and his powers. That was what they were amazed with. Peter, though, Peter wants them to be hungry for more than just the facts that they can see. So he began to preach. Now, let me just uh, describe this word, uh, bedazzled. Bedazzled, but blind. Bedazzled means you're uh, you're, you're amazed by the... uh, the power, the the might, the uh, the exterior performance of a person. Uh, perhaps uh, when you walk into a gym, you're bedazzled uh, by the uh, the beasts in front of you, right? <laughs> With pecs so big and a six pack so cut and ripped. Maybe you're bedazzled every time you walk past the uh, the shops and you see the mannequins uh, perfect in the shape of their body and uh, and wearing the uh, the the incredible clothes. Although mannequins are changing now, aren't they? That's uh, that's a bit of an interesting shift. Anyway, that's not the point. Bedazzled by this exterior appearance, right? Well, being led by the Spirit with the once crippled man holding him, uh, Peter speaks to this bedazzled crowd to awaken them from their blindness. He begins by shifting the focus. Why do you look at us? Why does this surprise you? Why, Why do you think that by our power, our godliness, we made this man walk? They're really good questions. Why are you so amazed with this? Because this is not the most important thing. This miracle is not the most important thing. This man getting up and walking is not the most amazing thing. And then he continues on. He knew the cause of this miracle was someone greater. He could see further than the facts and he wanted people to see further than the facts. So he actually starts and he continues with this, uh, with this sharp rebuke. He laid out just how glorious Jesus was and just how wretched they were. Up on the screen you can see the, the names of Jesus that are used in this next part of the passage and then the Jews' response to, uh, to, to those names. First of all, God's servant. God's servant, the sent one from heaven. He was promised centuries earlier. Hundreds of years before, Isaiah had prophesied that the God's servant would come. Isaiah 53. Uh, You can see that this man was the promised man. And, uh, And everyone knew that. The Jews of all people would know that. But they missed him. The man who came and washed feet. The man who fed the hungry. The man who healed the blind and the lame. And what did you do with him, Jews? You handed God's servant over to be killed and disowned him. Ouch. Ouch. You could see the turn on their face, bedazzled to, Oh, geez, I'm uncomfortable now. (laughs) Holy and righteous one. There was none other like this man. I'm not talking about a fairy tale. This man, Jesus, walked the earth. He, 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 He is a real person. There's none other like him. The stars shifted when he was born. He rightly handled every situation he found himself in and no one else could justly condemn him. Perfect. He is righteous. And what did you do with him? You disowned him and asked for a murderer to go free. Man, that hurts. We did that. Unbelievable. The innocent one, the one who'd done nothing wrong, was condemned as the guilty one. And the guilty one, the murderer, was let to go free. Oh, you can imagine in, in the, the hearts of the Jews, they're, they're sort of wondering, oh, these are facts, but uh, these facts hurt. The author of life. The author of life from the beginning, from creation, from the get-go of this world. This man was the author of life. He was the word in the beginning that breathed life into everything and brought it into being. It was him who gave life to all. It's him who sustains life in all and it's him who gives eternal life. And what did you do with him? You killed him. Ouch. I just gulped. You can imagine they would have had a few gulps in there. The man who you've seen come and serve you, who was like no one you'd ever known before, perfect in doing what was right, perfect in character and justice, and the very author of life who gave life to all, you killed him. And in the next breath... Peter reminds these murderers that the evil deeds of any person are not enough to stop God's plan. In the next breath, he says, but God raised this Jesus to life. Let me tell you a personal anecdote. Uh, Personally, I've often struggled with this. Um, I've heard preachers say, well, if it was you there at the garden, you would have eaten the fruit and done exactly the same thing. You would have missed God you would have seen the facts in front of you and thought that looks really appealing. Or if it was you there in that temple courtyard and, uh, and you were the one who was yelling out uh, to, to um, have Barabbas the murderer, you would have done the same thing. And uh, oh, it's, it's just grated on me a bit. Because there's a part in me, it's like, well, I know what I know now, and I, I don't think I would have done that to Jesus. Surely not. I wonder if you've ever thought that. I, Surely not. Like, I've never hated Jesus. I've never never denied Jesus. Surely I wouldn't have caused his death. I love Jesus. I suspect that maybe this might have been part of the Jews' problem as well. They were God's chosen people. Their heritage were the greats. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was the Romans, maybe, who, they're the ones who actually did the deed. They're the ones who actually killed Jesus. But Peter is here reminding them of their blindness to seeing the Savior of the world. He was right there in front of them, Jesus, but they missed him. He was their rescuer, and they missed him. He was the holy and righteous one, and they missed him. Blindness keeps us focused on the facts alone and keeps us from a deep and personal interaction with this God. The reality is, if I wasn't there screaming for Barabbas, it was my sin and your sin that later held him on that tree. Ouch. So we're not so much different to the Jews. No person in all of history has deserved a place in God's kingdom. Sin has stained every human, no matter how good they were. Listen to Peter's words here. You have to see past the miracle. There's one who is greater, there's one who is the author of life. There's one who is holy. No one else is like him, no one else is greater than him. There's one who is righteous, who's perfect in every way. There's one who beat death. And he did it for murderers like you, Jews. He did it for this lame man on the mat. You see the power in Jesus' name. Death death couldn't stop him. Being put to death couldn't stop this great man, Jesus Christ. No, no, death, death was what he had to pass through so that more life could come. You see, Jesus got up out of death and then he walked around and, and, uh, and he, he left the earth and then he sent the Holy Spirit. And now what we see is Jesus is still at work. The lame man is just another evidence that Jesus, he, he's actually doing stuff. The author of life, he's, he's still the author of life. Death wasn't able to hold him and he's still doing stuff right now today. But I wonder if you miss it. I wonder if you see lots of facts in front of you if you read your Bible and it's all just become a little bit dull to you. I wonder if you see the sin in your own heart and you're, you're, sort of, you're held back by that. It just keeps you held down. Maybe uh, it's the shame of that sin that keeps swallowing you up and, uh, and, and it stops you from being the human God intended you to be. Well, Jesus is still at work. He's not done yet. We see that in the scripture here. And what Peter is trying to say to them is, he's not done yet, Jews. But he wants you to see him, not just the miracles he can do. Lord, open our eyes to see. This morning, Lord, open our eyes to see. There's more that we're not seeing. There's, There's things that we're not seeing yet that we need to see, Jesus. Let us see more. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to pass through this life and just have a dull existence of seeing the facts in front of me and doing my daily thing every day and missing the eternal richness of Jesus Christ himself. Finally, becoming known. Peter invites these murderers to move from facts alone to faith. The unbelievable reality is that God invites the lame He invites the blind and and he invites the murderers and everyone in between to come and participate in this faith. Verses 17 to 20. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. So not only did he call them murderers, but now he's saying they're ignorant. But in their ignorance, perhaps that would be forgivable. right? They were a bit ignorant. They missed him. They, They just didn't see it the way they were meant to see it. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke to the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. I just want to hone in on this a minute. Repent. Um historians, would, uh, they've shown that uh, what they wrote on in that day was papyrus. And so uh, papyrus was obviously made from the reeds of uh, the plants around, and they were able to go through this process and turn it into paper. And when we think of writing on paper, often what we think of is uh, you, you put your pen to your paper, and there's this acid in the ink that actually sinks into the paper. And, uh, and once you write on it, it's very hard to erase. Um, you can sort of imagine erasing this ink out of a piece of paper and, uh, and it's just not going. You, you keep erasing, the paper starts to fade away and it starts to rip and tear. And, uh, and I wonder if it's a little bit like that with sin uh, in your own heart. You sort of see sin and you know of the worst things that you've done and you feel the guilt and you feel the shame. Maybe you try to rub it out. just want to get rid of it. I, I just can't get rid of it. And it, it just won't go away. And it's like the acid ink blended into the paper. It's, it's written on there. You can't just move it out of the way. It's just not that easy. But then this scripture says that if you repent and you turn to God, your sins will be blotted out. Well, papyrus and the ink is different, right? Because the papyrus in that day and what they used to write on the papyrus was like you could write on there and then you could just wipe it off. I've got a blackboard here. Oh, sorry, a whiteboard. Which is a little similar. You see, I could write this word. That's a really messy N. Let me do that again. I'm a teacher, I can't help it sin and maybe maybe you can just think of the worst things like this might feel like a little kid sort of anecdotal example but it's far bigger you think of the the worst things that you've done you think of the times where you turned to something other than jesus for your satisfaction Think of the times when you were hurting most and you turned away from Jesus and to something else. It might have been alcohol. It might have been the fridge. It might have been YouTube. It might have been the TV. It might have been, you know, whatever. A, a person, and it still just doesn't satisfy. It still doesn't remove the pain of what's going on. Well, when you repent, when you turn from your sin and you seek the forgiveness of God his red blood is like this this uh, duster here he wipes it clean your heart is no longer stained by that sin you're no longer classed as a murderer you're no longer classed as the stained and dirty and wretched person that you were. Great news. He wipes sins away. Clean. Clean. What a blessing. You know the times of refreshment when you're forgiven of your sin. Your soul is refreshed. Your soul, the, the weight in your heart is removed. Oh, And maybe there's some stiff upper lip Jews who are like, no, no, not having it. I'll get this thing sorted on my own. And they're missing the, the time of refreshment that will come. I want to finish with this story. Uh, it's an example of uh, a time when I was growing up. I loved going to church each week as a kid. It was a non-negotiable. This is just what our family did. Um, I went to a local Presbyterian church. And, uh, and the church, out the front of the church, had these steps. And, uh, and as, as we'd go up the steps, I'd think, okay, how many steps can I jump? So I missed steps and went, yes, all the way to the top without touching a step. <laughs> and I had these concrete sort of uh, angles up the side. And, and then you walk into the foyer and uh, it's all brick, right? It's all um, brick. Uh, inside and so uh, my parents would often remind me don't run through the foyer don't run through the foyer Nathan uh, you, you could get hurt or you could hurt somebody else and, uh, and so um, being a good little boy with lots of energy I was playing a game of tag and in this game of tag uh, the person chasing me chased me up the stairs and into the foyer now, I'm maybe eight years old, so I'm not thinking about where I am. I'm just thinking about getting away from the guy behind me. And, uh, and as I ran in, I looked behind, and then he was coming. So I look ahead and bam, straight into the corner of a brick wall. <laughs> like the corner is right there. And so you can imagine, I just sort of come away stunned. I turned around, and I looked, and there was my dad. And he grabbed me, and he pulled me in right into his belly I just remember my face just being tucked into his belly the, the egg on my head uh, grew very big and uh, very quickly that took me to emergency you know what he could have done right then he could have given me all the facts could have shown me how dumb it was to run inside he could have said uh, don't run around the brick walls Nath I've told you how many times have I told you he could have reminded me of, uh, of all the times he'd said not to do it, all the times he said to slow down, but he didn't. You know, there was nothing more refreshing in that moment than having my throbbing head held close to my father's chest. Oh, that was refreshing. It could have been someone else. It could have been an elderly lady, or it could have been a mate who sort of picked me up and carried me uh, to, to someone who could help. But no, it was my dad. He was right there. He drew me close. He saw the disaster I'd made of my head and he took me to emergency. Can you see what happened here? He saw me. He knew me. He knew my disobedience and he knew I'd made a mistake and he held me close and rescued me. I felt the sting of running where I wasn't meant to be that day, but my father rescued me out of it. The Jews felt the sting of murdering Jesus that day And they had a God who would draw them close and wipe away the stain of that sin and give them refreshing and the hope of eternal life with Jesus. It's just as true today. If you've come here and you're just looking for facts, I want to tell you there's something more than just facts. His name's Jesus. And he wants to give you himself over and over and over and over and over again. You might be feeling dull. You might be feeling like I'm reading the Bible, I'm coming to church, and it's just sort of the, other, the, the, the thing that I do every day or every week. And it's just dull. I'm not, there's, it feels like facts all around me. Well, come and experience Jesus. Be known by Him. Be honest before Him. This is the worst that's happened this week, Jesus. This is where I've missed you. This is where I've turned from you. Come and be honest and experience the closeness of Jesus Christ. Just like that lame man experienced the hand of Peter, experienced the look in his eyes, and he was drawn up out of his lame body into almost a new body, right? And he's leaping about. Stop dabbling in the facts about Jesus and just come to him. Just as faith in the name of Jesus made that lame man well, so faith in the name of Jesus right now today will wipe the stain of your sins and prepare you for eternal life with him. You know how death didn't keep him down? It won't keep you down either. If you put your faith in his name today. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. And you can see lots of cool stuff about God. But truly knowing God and being known by God just seems a foreign concept to you right now. The invitation is for you today. Come and be known by Him once again. Come today. Don't hold off. If these murderous Jews could have their sin wiped away, I'm absolutely sure there's no sin in this building today that couldn't be wiped away. Martin Luther, in his 95 Theses, stated that our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Tim Keller makes this note. He was saying, Martin Luther that was, was saying that repentance is the way we make progress in the Christian life. Indeed, pervasive, all-of-life repentance is the best sign that we're growing deeply and rapidly into the character of Jesus. Let me give you one last irony. Who was it who was preaching this day? Anyone remember? Peter? Where was Peter on the night that Jesus was betrayed? Anyone remember? was hiding he was in that courtyard watching jesus get uh get questioned and what did he do he denied jesus the preacher couldn't even get it right (laughs) there's hope for you and me (laughs) the preacher couldn't even get it right you know the difference between the preacher peter and the jews and us the only difference is that he's turned to jesus He walked away and he wept bitterly because he denied his Lord and Saviour. He turned to Jesus. He experienced Jesus. He experienced the sin being wiped away. And if you're a believer today, that's an everyday experience. And it ought to be the best experience each day. Because you're drawing nearer and nearer to your Lord Jesus. I want to finish today uh, with just an opportunity for you to do that. Um, We're not going to stay in our seats today. I'm going to invite the um, elders and deacons to come and uh, serve some communion. This communion today is a very clear physical representation of how intimately Jesus wants to be intermingled inside of you. We heard it at the beginning, Jesus broke bread and he gave it. And that bread was a symbol of his life, broken for you. And the, the juice, the wine, was a beautiful symbol of his blood. It's a reminder that there's nothing that cannot be wiped away, no sin that cannot be wiped clean, except through faith in Jesus Christ. If you've never known Jesus, never known him like this, maybe you know facts about him, but you've never known him like this, you feel free to come and know him. You pray, you turn to him. Confess all all that you can think of. Confess just how wrong you've been in following your own life, your own way. Come to him and, and participate with him. He wants you to have eternal life today.